0: Amen. Y'all let them know how much you appreciate them leading us this morning in worship. And if you've got your Bibles with you, Ephesians chapter 6 is where we find ourselves. We're in a series on spiritual warfare, and really talking about the importance of all of us as followers of Jesus to make sure that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, we don't wrestle against other people. People are not the ones that we are in battle with. We are in battle with spirit rebels who are led by Satan, who are organized to attack our relationship with the Lord, as well as our relationship with other people. God has this phenomenal plan for your life and my life to display his love through us Towards other individuals. In fact, we studied this last week. I drew it for you So I figured I'd draw it for you again this morning because you guys were so impressed with my artistic skills And so uh, anyway, here's a picture of uh, you with a little smiley face super skinny. Amen Alright, I figured you'd be happy about that. So the Bible says in the book of Ephesians that you come into a relationship with God through Jesus. And now the enemy wants to attack that particular relationship. As you continue to study the book of Ephesians, you'll discover that there are four other areas where the enemy will attack relationships. So he'll attack relationships that you have at large. That's with individuals who don't have a personal relationship with the Lord. So the enemy will actually try to keep you from expressing the love of God towards those who don't know the Lord. And then at the same time, there are uh, there's an attack, rather, at, uh, in relationships with those who are at church, so those that we fellowship with on a regular basis. And then there's also an attack with those at home. And then there's also an attack with our relationships with those that we work with. And so here's the deal. God wants you and I to follow his great commandment, to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He also wants us to love our neighbors as ourselves. So we're called to love God. We're called to love other people. So the enemy doesn't want anything that remotely looks like the love of God to show up here upon the earth. And so the enemy wants to attack these particular relationships in our lives. So what Paul does in Ephesians 6 is say to us, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities of darkness. Therefore, we have to be prepared for the battle. So what I want to do this morning is actually give you three questions that you can ask to determine whether or not you're wearing the spiritual armor of God, or at least the first three articles. And I want to challenge you to begin to really focusing in on the conflict that you have in life not as conflict with other individual people, but as a spiritual conflict that you need to fight well against. So with that in mind, Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 13. you got it there. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word this morning? Ephesians 6, verse 13. You got it in front of you. Say amen. amen. All right. So the Bible says, uh, therefore, uh, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm. And then verse 14, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, God, we don't want to be a group of people who just kind of come and read it and listen to it talked about but not do anything with it. So help us to apply what we learned today, and I pray, Father, for the spiritual battles that are represented here in this room, the spiritual battles. People have conflicts uh, at large, at church, at home, and at work. And so, God, I pray that you would use your word and our time together today to really equip us to do what this text says, and that is to take up the full armor of God. And we're going to trust that you'll speak to us today, and that's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. So you go ahead and be seated this morning. Look at verse 13 again, just kind of uh, unpack this for a second. He says, therefore, in other words, since we're in this spiritual battle, I need you to take up the full armor of God. Now, that word take up, it's an awesome word. It actually is uh, used in such a way to have military overtones, all right? So he's giving you a statement, uh, really a command here with some military snap, all right? He's saying you need to take up the full armor of God. Attention, make sure you are wearing God's armor to fight these particular battles. That's really the challenge here. So it says take up the armor of God. And then I like how he says it, so that you'll be able to resist, that means stand firm, not give up any ground, be steadfast, immovable in the evil day. Now, real quick, eyeball to eyeball, that phrase evil day is pretty awesome. Uh, it, It actually can be used to describe a particular day when the enemy will attack you violently. All right, so it can point to a specific day, but it also points to a general time frame, the evil day. That's what we're living in. And we'll be living in this particular time frame until Jesus comes back again and sets things right here upon the earth. So we wait for that day. But currently, we're in an evil day where the spirit rebels are attacking our relationships, trying to keep the love of God from being expressed or experienced in our midst. So that's the battle that's where it's happening so he says you got to make sure you're taking up the full armor of God now as I'm studying this I'm looking at the spiritual armor of God and I'm thinking to myself all right because here's the deal the Lord teaches me before I get up here to preach it and uh, so so the Lord's teaching me this and uh, I, found, I found it very very interesting as I was studying the spiritual armor one of the questions that popped in my mind was uh, How do I know if I'm wearing it right? I mean it's spiritual armor, so it's invisible I cannot see it with my naked eye so how do I know if I actually have this armor on and then if I have this armor on what will it do and uh, some interesting things if I am wearing this armor what it will do is it will give me the strength of God the strength of God to love him and to love other individuals. If I take this armor off and I begin to try to fight with other people, then I do not have the strength of God to love. So God gives me his strength as I put this armor on. But like I said, how do I know if I'm wearing it? I can't see it. So this has kind of been a, um, a question that has driven my study of uh, the armor of the Lord. And so this morning what I want to do is give you three questions that you can ask to determine whether or not you're wearing the articles of the armor, which we just read about in Ephesians chapter six. Now, this gets about as practical as you can possibly get with spiritual warfare. So I want you to take notes. I want you to write these three questions down because I want you to do something with these three questions uh, in this uh, coming week. All right, so go ahead and make sure you got a pen or a pencil or something to write it down. And uh, make sure you've got this in front of you. It's going to help you this week. It's already helped me uh, tremendously. All right? So with that in mind, let me give you three questions. Y'all ready for them? Say amen. All right. Good deal. Here's the first one. Jot this one down. Am I being influenced uh, by the truth? Am I being influenced by what is true? Look at verse 14 with me again, and you will. Uh, The Bible says, uh, stand firm, therefore. Having girded your loins with the truth. Now, eyeball to eyeball for just a moment. Whenever Paul the Apostle is writing this letter to the church at Ephesus, he's actually writing it from a prison cell. So he is in prison because he's been preaching the gospel. The people didn't want the gospel of Jesus to be shared, and so they silenced him or thought they silenced him by throwing him in prison. So while he's in prison, he has Roman guards who are looking over him. Many times he'd have a Roman guard actually chained to him, but the Roman guards were always dressed for battle. So when Paul the apostle was looking and writing this letter, he was viewing right in front of his face the armory that was wore by the Roman soldiers. So as As you kind of imagine him talking about these articles of the armor, he's actually looking at them on the Roman soldier. And he says, now since we don't fight against flesh and blood, but we still have to dress for the battle. And the very first one that he talks about is girding up our loins with the truth. Now we don't use the phrase gird your loins very often, do we? I mean, I only use it like once a week when I just say, hey man, have you girded your loins? But here's the thing, right? Girding up your loins is actually a picture of what a Roman soldier would do before he went to battle. They would wear tunics, which were basically long, oversized T-shirts went past their kneecaps. And before they would go to battle, they would reach down, they would grab the bottom of that shirt, they would pull it up, and they would tuck it into their belts. And the reason they did this was because it would free up their legs to run, right? So if they had that long tunic, it would impede their ability to both run as well as to fight and to kick and all those kinds of things. So they would gird up their tunics. They would put them in their belt. And what Paul says here is, listen, if you're gonna fight the spiritual battle, which is being waged in the context of these relationships, you've gotta, first of all, gird up your loins, all right? With the truth, and I love this. The word truth here, it speaks of candor, sincerity speaks of truthfulness. So really and truly what this uh, does is it pictures the idea that when we uh, get ready for spiritual battle, the first thing we need to do is gird up our loins with the truth and we need to know what's true about God, we need to know what's true about ourselves, we need to know what's true about others. We also need to know what's true about the situation or the circumstance that we find ourselves in. So we've got to gird up our loins with the truth. Now, when you hear the word truth, uh, ultimately what comes to mind? Well, if you're, you know, grew up in church, the first thing that comes to mind is the Bible, right? So you have the Bible, the word of God, which is the truth. Jesus even said in John chapter 17, sanctify them in the truth. He's praying for his disciples. And then he says, uh, Lord, your word is the truth so there it is god's word from cover to cover is the truth of god and it gives us the ability to understand what is true about the lord as well as what's true about ourselves and others so god's word is vitally important so important psalm chapter 119 the psalmist says this your word right your word which is truth i have hidden in my heart that i might not sin against you so think about this The psalmist was saying, I'm taking God's word, I'm hiding it, putting it away in my heart, like taking treasure and putting it into a treasure chest. I'm taking God's word and putting it into my heart. And his word is actually giving me the ability to know what is true so that I will not sin. Now, eyeball to eyeball, what is sin? Sin is missing the mark of God's holy perfect love that's what sin is missing the mark of God's holy perfect love first four commandments deal with our relationship with God whenever we break one of those commandments we break it because we are not loving holy perfectly the Lord all right the last uh, six commandments of the ten commandments deal with our relationships with other people whenever we break one of those commandments we do so because we are not expressing the perfect holy love of the Lord in our lives Now, some of you may be thinking, that's impossible. You're right. That's why we need God and his grace to pour out his divine love into our hearts, which he does, Romans 5, by the Holy Spirit. And as we are filled, controlled by the Spirit, he empowers us to love the Lord as well as to love other individuals. The psalmist says, I take God's word and I put it into my heart so that I won't sin. So I'm learning what is true about God, about myself, about others as well. Matter of fact, the psalmist goes on in Psalm chapter 100 and verse uh, chapter 19. He says, uh, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So in other words, you take God's word to keep you from sinning, but you also have God's word to light up each step that you are to take. So God's word lights up. For you and I, the steps that we are to take in our relationship with the Lord and the steps we are to take in our relationship with those at large, at church, at home, and at work. So as you take God's word, he lights up his will, his purpose, and his plan for your life and the relationships that are also in your life. So that is what we have. We have God's word. So he says, first of all, gird up your loins in the truth. Now, one question I begin to also kind of ask is what about truth that we don't find in the Bible? What about truth that is not founded or located in the scriptures? Uh, for example, my birthday is October the 22nd, 1977. That's when I was born. That is the truth. Y'all down with me say yes? But that is not in the Bible. I don't have a verse about that. But I, but I know that it happened. I was there. <laughs> right? Here's what's interesting. Whenever you study theology, you'll actually come to the conclusion that all truth is God's truth. Now, this is not an original thought with uh, me. Uh, This actually was taught by one of the great theologians of the first millennium by the name of Augustine. Augustine writes in his uh, Christian doctrine book, says this. He says, nay, that's how they begin sentences back then, nay, but let every good and true Christian understand that wherever truth may be found, it belongs to the master God. Dutch systematic theologian Herman Bavinck also says, God is the truth in its absolute fullness. He therefore is the primary, the original truth, the source of all truth. He is the truth in all truth. So what does this mean? This means when I think about the relationships in my life where the enemy loves to attack, I have to sit back and ask the very first question. Am I being influenced by what is true? About what's true about God, what's true about me, what's true about others, what's true about this particular situation? Listen, whenever I begin to ask that simple question, the answer to that question will determine whether or not I have first and foremost girded up my loins with the truth. Whether or not I'm wearing the belt of the truth. Right? If I don't have that belt on, then I am in a world of hurt when it comes to my spiritual battle. All right? So I give you the first question, am I being influenced by what is true? Now here's what I'm going to do. I forgot to tell you this. You all with me saying that? So I'm going to give you the three questions. All right? So I gave you one already. And then I'm going to give you two scenarios to see how these play out in real life spiritual battles. I can't wait to get to that part. So practical, so helpful. I've already been using them myself right? You come back next Sunday, you're going to get three more questions dealing with the last three articles of the armor of God. I've got all six of them. I just went ahead and wrote them in my Bible. They were such a help to me. I I said, Lord, I want to fight this well. So let me write all these down. And um, I'm going to show you next week too, how these questions will guide your prayer life and uh, makes a huge difference. But the first question, all right, am I being influenced by what's true? Second question, jot this one down. uh, Am I doing what is right in God's eyes? Am I doing what is right in God's eyes? Look at verse 14 again. The Bible says, uh, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with the truth, and then notice the next little phrase, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, very quickly, what is the breastplate of righteousness? Or what is a breastplate just in general? It was actually used uh, basically to cover up the vital organs of the body, uh, the heart and the lungs. The breastplate was made of metal plates or chains that covered the warrior's body from his neck all the way down to his waist. So this breastplate was a massive uh, piece of armor that actually kept that individual from being pierced in the heart or in the lungs. It's was a pretty vital piece, I think. And uh, they would wear it whenever they would go to war. And now Paul says, listen, you're in a spiritual battle, so you need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, real quick, what is this? What is righteousness, right? Well, whenever you study righteousness in the New Testament, you're gonna discover there are two major doctrinal principles as it pertains to the righteousness that we have. Uh, First of all, let me tell you this. The Bible says we don't have any righteousness. No one is righteous, no, not one. But here's what happens when you realize you're unrighteous and you see that your unrighteousness deserves a penalty. You realize you're a sinner. You realize you've sinned before God. And as a result, you deserve to be punished. And that punishment is to be sentenced to hell for all of eternity. But God, by his grace, sent his son Jesus over 2,000 years ago to the earth. And he lived a sinless life. And then Jesus went to the cross at Calvary and there on the cross, he died. And Jesus was dying to pay for your fine, to pay for your sin, to pay for my sin. It was buried and resurrected. When you turn from your sin and you embrace what Jesus has done for you, The Bible says in that moment, you experience positional righteousness. Now that's the theological term, positional righteousness. That means that God grants you, gives you, deposits into your spiritual bank account, the perfect righteousness of his son Jesus. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become, listen to this, the righteousness of God in Christ. So for every follower of Jesus in here this morning, positionally, God sees you as perfectly righteous. Not because of what you've done, but because of his grace and because he has put his son's righteousness into your spiritual bank account. So that's positional righteousness. Now, there's also what is known as practical righteousness, sometimes even called imparted righteousness. Practical righteousness really does describe sanctifying righteousness, the righteousness of God that we now tap into and live out of every single day of our life. So it's a banking term. You are given the righteousness of Jesus in your life. And so now you make withdrawals from his righteousness so that you respond correctly to the Lord and w- as well as to others. So you're writing checks based upon his eternal perfect righteousness for how your life should be. So you're living out the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I love what one commentator says. He says, um, uh, living practical righteousness is to live in daily, moment-by-moment moment, obedience to our Heavenly Father. Now, this part of God's armor is holy living, for which God supplies the standard and the power for which we must supply the willingness. In other words, we must be willing to obey the Lord, to submit ourselves to him. So with that in mind, you think about it, right, when you're attacked spiritually, When you're in the middle of a spiritual battle, you first of all start off with, uh, am I being influenced by what's true? But then secondly, you ask the question, am I doing what is right in God's eyes? Am I doing what is right as it pertains to my relationship with the Lord? Am I doing what's right as it pertains to these relationships in the eyes of God? So we ask these questions and if we respond yes, that means we got the belt of truth on. It also means we have the breastplate of righteousness on in our lives. Now, the third article as well as the third question. All right, jot this one down. This one's huge. Everybody say huge this morning. Yeah, huge. That's what this one is, right? What is it I forgot? Yeah, it's huge. All right. I always get the exact same group of people talking to me at this service. Uh, What is this? It's what? Yeah, there were a few added. All right, good deal. All right. So huge. Am I living gospel-centered? Am I living gospel-centered? Look at verse 15 in your Bible. Scripture says, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now the Roman soldier back in the day, he would always wear his sandals, but his sandals weren't the ones like we wear, you know, with just a couple of little straps these are leather straps that went all the way around your foot tied all the way up your calf as well and they kind of uh, buckled right below the knee they were pretty slick right so they would wear these then underneath that sandal they actually on the footing would have put nails there and the nails became spikes which obviously gave them a secure footing uh, whenever they were in hand-to-hand combat right or whenever they were running up a hill they had those cleats on you know I thought about it I never fight somebody without cleats on can I get a witness right that's it but you have cleats but so you got secure footing now Paul says you need to uh, put on the gospel shoes of peace put them on every single day now what, what does this mean well We can jot it down like this. It means that we're to make sure that our feet are established in the gospel of peace. And to be established in the gospel, first of all, it speaks of the understanding that we should have of the gospel of Christ, inside and out. And we should be prepared as followers of Jesus to share that with those who do not know the Lord. Matter of fact, I love Paul's writings. In Romans chapter one, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone who would believe. So here it is. I got the gospel of peace on. I need to be prepared to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10, Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news right for the of those who bring the gospel so if you're a follower of jesus when you put these sandals on that means you're standing firm in the gospel truth and you are prepared to share the gospel with other individuals Last Thursday night, myself and Casey Riles, who leads worship for Concord at Malona, met up at Anytime Fitness to work out. I worked out. I'm not real sure what he was doing. But anyway, so we were there together, hanging out, having a good time. And all of a sudden, somebody came in. We didn't know him. He got into a conversation, though his name was Drew. And I began to ask Drew, Drew, you got a church home somewhere. Uh, we're real. I'm real quick into that. Y'all let me say yes. All right. So I'm like, Hey man, you got a church. You go to church somewhere. And uh, he says, yeah, man, I go to several churches. He named a Catholic church. He named a couple of other churches. And then I just asked him, I said, let me ask you this, man. When you go to those churches, uh, how do they teach you how to go to heaven when you die? Which is a pretty legit question. Don't you think? Right. So the response is, as he's sitting there, uh, I don't really know. Like, okay, so you go to all these churches and you don't know how they teach to go to heaven? No, I don't know. Well, what if I were to ask you, Drew, how to go to heaven when I die? What would you tell me? And uh, he, he looked at me and he said, well, I think I would tell you just, you just need to be a good person. Is there a problem with this? I'm asking y'all, is there a problem with this? Yeah, 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 because nobody is good enough, uh, which is, you know, what I shared with him. I shared with him the fact that we are all sinners, Asked him if he had ever told a lie. He said, yes. I said, you're a liar. <laughs> Asked him if he had ever stole anything. He said, no. I said, I don't believe you. You told me you was a liar. Amen. All right. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, we discovered that indeed he had stolen some stuff, so he's also a thief. So you're a lying thief. You're going to stand before God one day, and you think you're good enough to get into heaven? Does that make sense? He says, no, it doesn't. Right? We're all sinners. But the good news is that God sent his son, Jesus, to live a righteous, perfect life for us and then go to the cross at Calvary and bear in his body the punishment that we deserve. So Jesus died as my substitute, and I was sharing with you he also died as your substitute. And then he was buried and he was raised again. If you could get to heaven by being good, it makes zero sense for God to send his son Jesus to die on a cross. It makes no sense, why would he have done that? Because he was paying for our penalty. And then we challenged her to turn from his sin and place his trust in Jesus. That's the gospel. We shared the gospel myself in case with withdrew in the matter of about three and a half minutes. God says to you and I as followers of Jesus to always... Uh, how often? I didn't hear myself. What did I say? Yeah, always be prepared to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we share this gospel of peace... We're sharing with people how they can be at peace with God by coming to faith in his son, Jesus, by trusting in Christ. Because see, before that, you're at war with God. And if you remain at war with God and you die, you are going to lose. But God says, I want you to come in, be on my side. But you can't get in by your good works or your religious activity. you got to trust in my son. That's why I sent him to die for you on the cross. He was buried and raised again. Believe upon Jesus and you shall be saved. That's the gospel. So we share this message. And people come into peace with the Lord. Now here's what's awesome as well. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. The gospel not only talks about us coming in peace with God, but it also talks about how we can live at peace with others. In fact, Paul the Apostle in the book of Ephesians, what does he do? He says, listen, to those who are at large, and especially those who are Gentiles, those who do not have a a, a Jewish background, he says, typically, we would not even talk to Gentiles. We avoided them. But he says, I have so been changed by the gospel now, I'm going to carry the gospel to the Gentiles, and I'm going to tell them how they can be at peace with God, and then when they respond, I'm going to tell them, we're also now one with one another, so we are at peace With each other so see the gospel not only reconciles us to God it also reconciles us to one another And I love what one particular author said when I was studying this he says when you have tasted the grace of the gospel No relationship uh, No matter how wrong or how hurtful or annoying looks the same to you When you've tasted the gospel It's true because you check this out Because you, and here's how I'm basing this, all right? What I want to live is this way. The way God has treated me through the gospel, may I treat others the same way. Y'all with me? The way God has treated me through the gospel, may I treat others the same way. So think about that. You've received grace from God through the gospel, so you should display grace toward other people. You've experienced love, forgiveness, compassion, generosity all through the gospel. So you and I should be people who express love, forgiveness, compassion, and generosity. So in the heat of spiritual warfare, I need to begin to ask the question, as it pertains to these relationships, am I living gospel-centered? Am I either seeking to share the gospel with somebody who doesn't know the Lord? or? And by the way, just so you're aware, when you share the gospel, you're on the front lines of battle. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Bible says the devil has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving. So even as I preach this morning, some of you have not responded to the gospel. And the reason you haven't is because the enemy's blinded you. But the gospel is the power of God to open your eyes that you might see the glorious grace of our Father in his son Jesus Christ. See, the gospel can overpower the enemy's ability to blind people. So we share the gospel in the front lines. But at the same time, am I living gospel-centered as it pertains to my relationships with those at the church? Am I gracious, loving, compassionate, forgiving, etc.? Am I living that way at home? Am I living that way at work? Have I been changed by the gospel? So how has God treated you through the gospel? How has he treated you? Treat other people the exact same way. Live a gospel-centered. That is you putting on the gospel shoes of peace. So it's not only sharing Jesus with the unbelievers, but it's living the gospel as it relates to others in your life. So those are the three questions. So when I'm in spiritual battle now, I want to ask these questions. When the enemy attacks my relationship with the Lord or any of these, I want to begin by saying, Lord, am I being influenced by what is true? Secondly, I want to say, Lord, am I doing what's right in your eyes? And then thirdly, I want to say, Lord, am I living gospel-centered? All right? Y'all with me say amen? All right, so here's the deal. I'm going to give you two scenarios, okay, that I made up uh, so that you don't think I'm talking about somebody at the church here. Uh, Matter of fact, the first lady I'm going to talk about, her name is Eliza. All right, so I don't think we have Eliza on our role here at church. If your name is Eliza, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about Eliza Manelli. Y'all down with that? All right. I'm really not talking about her either. But listen to her story. Uh, she is a follower of Jesus, has been for 22 years, when all of a sudden she has a massive attack upon her relationship with the Lord. Now, let me tell you a little bit about, about Liza. Liza is not only a follower of Jesus in name, but she actually lived out the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Each day she would wake up and have a uh, devotion with the Lord, sitting alone with God, praying, seeking Him and His Word. She was really growing in her faith in a unique fashion. She was involved heavily in serving in the local church. And uh, God was using her to be an expression of his love towards other people. Just phenomenal, right? This is how she was. She was also an individual who was very quick to share Jesus with those who did not know him. So this was her heart. But all of a sudden, after 22 years of following Christ, something hit her that never hit her before. Uh, She went to the doctor, found out she had a disease and was going to die in the matter of 12 months. This absolutely rocked her. Rocked her not only physically, but also rocked her Spiritually, so the enemy began to attack her relationship with the lord She had a thought pop into her mind that she never had thought before in her life And that thought was this god doesn't care about you That thought popped into her mind She'd never had it before never even thought that but all of a sudden there it is where'd it come from? well the enemy The enemy plants thoughts in our minds, gets us to consider particular things. And the amazing thing is oftentimes a thought can come in and then we give that thought legs and we kind of walk it out. And that's what this lady did. 22 years, all of a sudden now, she's like, the Lord doesn't care about you. And then she begins to think, you know what? He doesn't. If he did care about me, I wouldn't have this disease. If God really loved me, if God really took care of me, I would not have this disease. I would not face this suffering. I would not have this trial in my life. So she begins to push aside her relationship with the Lord. The next morning rolls around. She's like, I'm not getting along with God. He doesn't care about me. Why would I get along with the Lord? And then all of a sudden she has people calling her for the church that she goes to. And they're saying, hey, we want to come by and pray for you. She's like, no, don't need it. We want to come by and bring you a meal. Nope, don't need it. So check this out. God is trying to express his love towards her through the body of Christ, through prayer and ministry. And she's cutting it off. And so the attack, God doesn't care about you, not only began to affect her relationship with the Lord, but it also began to affect her relationships with those at church. So she's pushed everybody to the side. She's isolated herself. Now, what's happening? She's in a spiritual battle. What if we interviewed Liza and said, Liza, let me just ask you a few questions. Liza, first of all, are you being influenced by the truth? Her answer would have to be no. No because what does the truth say? The truth says that God overwhelmingly loves her and cares for her. Matter of fact, the Bible says that we are to cast our cares upon the Lord because he cares for us, but because she's being led by something that is not true, which is a lie, she has fallen, given opportunity to the devil in her life. Now, what if we ask her the second question? Now, Liza, let me ask you. Are you doing what's right in God's eyes? I mean, her response will have to be no again. There's no way. What, what has she done? She's pushed her relationship with the Lord to the side. She's pushed her relationship with other followers of Jesus aside. Is that the right thing to do in God's sight? Not at all. So she's not only not wearing the belt of truth, she's also not wearing the breastplate of righteousness. And because she's not wearing that, the enemy has attacked her and her heart has grown cold towards God and also cold towards those in the family of God. Y'all tracking? So then I ask her a third question, Liza, are you living gospel-centered? Now that sounds like an interesting question, doesn't it? But here's the answer, no. Had she been seeing her situation and circumstance from God's perspective, could it be that God in his sovereignty allowed Liza to have this disease so that she would live a faithful, committed life to Christ in the midst of great suffering and as a result, be a reflection of the gospel of Jesus to those who don't know him? Anybody can be faithful when things are great. But when things are difficult, the faithful shine brighter, don't they? She missed it. So what's happening with her? She's being spiritually attacked, and as a result, she's not wearing the belt of truth, she's not wearing the breastplate of righteousness, and she's not living gospel-centered. Now, here's the thing. You might be like Liza. So what must you do? Here's what you must do. You must say, Lord... I have sinned against you. I have grown cold in my heart towards you, cold in my heart towards others, and I need you to forgive me. And right now, I want to gird up my loins with the truth. Lord, I know what's true about you. You love me unconditionally. I know that you care for me, Lord. I I know all, so you got the truth coming in. Lord, I want to do what's right in your sight. I'm going to, even though it's difficult, I'm still going to get along with you, Lord. And I'm going to spend time with you. Lord, even though it's difficult to be around those who are followers of Jesus at this moment in my life, I'm still going to embrace them because in them I experience your love. And, Lord, I want to live this out. Could you imagine if Liza said this? Lord, although I have this great disease that's going to take my body, I'm going to be faithful to you to the very end. Use me however you see fit to be a witness for the sake of the kingdom. The belt, the breastplate. And what's the third one say out loud? Shoes. Y'all follow and say yes? yes? All right, I got another scenario. This scenario is about a man named Jed. He's a poor mountaineer. He barely kept his family. Y'all with me, to say yeah. All right, so check this out. Jed is a hard worker. He really is, man. He gets. I got. I got to stay with the notes so that I get this thing finished here. If I don't, all of a sudden Jed becomes this real guy in my life, and I can create so much more about him. All right. But Jed's a hard worker. Got a ton of responsibility at work. So he gets home from work, and his wife says to him, "Honey, uh, can you help get the kids ready for bed?" Innocent invitation, but he's exhausted. And thoughts begin to rush into his mind. The first thought is this Your wife thinks you're a lazy dad. So he begins to ponder. I can't believe she thinks I'm lazy. She hasn't got a clue what I deal with on a regular basis, how hard I work. I bust it day in and day out so that she can have a nice home. The bills are paid, the kids are closed. I cannot believe she thinks I'm lazy. And then He passes her in the hallway toward the youngest child's bedroom, and you can feel the chill in the air. (laughs) After all the kids are in bed, he sits on the sofa. He's seething, looking at the television with a furrowed brow. So she comes, she sits down next to him, and he quickly turns in the other direction. And then in anger and a desire to retaliate, he asks her, Honey, did you do anything today, or did you just lay around the house? By the way, Jed is not me. Can I get a witness on this? I'm just saying, there she is. I've never said that, all right? So let's, let's uh, kind of uh, think this one through for just a second. Uh, hey, Jed, are you being influenced by what's true? Absolutely not. You know what his wife, you know what's true? His wife was actually giving him an opportunity to have quality time with his kids. She knew he had been at work all day. She knew that he loved his kids. She knew that he would want to spend time with them. So she was choosing To move herself out of the equation. So that he could have time with them when they went to bed. That's what's true. Quick, real quick, real quick. Do I have a Bible verse that says that? No. But all truth is God's truth. Uh, Jed, how about this one? Uh, You wearing the breastplate of righteousness. You doing what's right in God's eyes? Absolutely not. Jed's all fired up. It's amazing. The enemy gives him one lie, and he begins, or, or yeah, basically takes that lie and runs with it. And it's an innocent statement from his wife. But now there's turmoil in the house. What's the enemy doing? He's attacking relationships at home. So he gets all ill at her. He sits down on the sofa, and then all of a sudden he blows up in retaliation. He's not wearing the breastplate of righteousness, it's not there. How about this one, uh, Jed, are you living gospel-centered? No. He's said, what does the gospel teach a husband to live like as a follower of Christ? Love your wife like Christ loves the church. Anybody know where that one is? Ephesians. Is he sacrificially loving his wife when he comes home and she says, honey, you want to help get the kids in the bed? No. He gets selfish. And says, she, she calling me lazy? Is he being generous with his time? Not at all. Is he being loving? Is he giving her the benefit of the doubt? 1 Corinthians 13, love believes all things. That means love gives the benefit of the doubt. No, he's not. So here he is, undressed for spiritual war, and as a result, he's fighting his wife. But we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Are y'all tracking? I love what Francis Schaefer said. Francis Schaefer. The spiritual battle. Now check this out. This is awesome. The spiritual battle. The loss of victory is always in the thought world. Jesus called the devil the father of all lies. He can take a statement which seems real innocent and twist it and make you think it believes or is something that it's not so those three questions here's what I want you to do this is my challenge did y'all write them down did y'all did y'all write them down I'm asking y'all did y'all did y'all 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 got them you didn't write them down did you all you all write them down i am asking you all did you all you all write them down you all got them you did not write them down did you i will give you a copy I want listen this is the thing I don't preach just to preach I'm trying to help us as followers of Jesus right So if you're here just to kind of check it off and not apply it, I don't really understand what you come for. makes no sense whatsoever. So take these three questions this week. Every single time a conflict arises, whether it be a conflict that all of a sudden you begin to think, I don't have time to spend with the Lord. Go through those three questions. Or all of a sudden you're uh, hanging out maybe with uh, your wife and all of a sudden a conflict arises. I dare you to go through those three questions. You're at work, go through the three questions. Some of you need to go through the three questions because you've got some conflict going on right now. And you're not dressed for spiritual... That that was my thing. I can't see the spiritual armor, so how do I know if I have it on? Well, I know I've got the belt of truth on if I'm being influenced by the truth. I know I've got the breastplate of righteousness on if I'm doing what's right in God's eyes. I know I've got the gospel shoes of peace on if I'm living gospel-centered. That's how I know Take those three questions, man. They'll drive your prayer life. Come back next Sunday, you get three more. Amen? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for our time in the word today. Pray that you would help us apply what we've learned. And dear Jesus, I pray for the relationships that are represented here in this room. Many relationships, not only just, you know, with married people and relationships at home, but I'm talking about, Lord, relationships with those who are unbelievers, those in this church body. Father, relationships as well with those that we work with. And God, I pray that you would help us to fight, not flesh and blood, but the spiritual battle. So that we experience the victory. And God, as we fight using your armor, that is when we are able to love unconditionally. Thank you for giving us that great high calling right there found in Ephesians chapter 1 that we are to imitate you. God, you, uh, the scripture says, you you are love. God, you tell us in Ephesians 5 and verse 2 that we are to walk in love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant aroma. God, help us to live that way. Your heads bowed, your eyes closed this morning. Let me just do this. I don't do this very often. got to do it quick, though. How many of you just say, you know what? The Lord really did. He just, just taught me something this morning. Just slip your hand up real quick all across the room. Just learn something real quick. So everyone hands going up and back down. I, I wonder if you'd just join me in this prayer, right? You're a follower of Jesus. Just pray something like this. Just say, Lord, uh, help me to fight the right battles in life. Help me to walk through these questions when I face conflict in my relationships. Help me to do it this week. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, nobody looking around this morning, but you're here today and you say, Levi, man, I I hear what you're talking about, but I don't even have a relationship with the Lord. And you were talking about that guy who believed he was going to heaven because he was going to be a good person. That's how I believe. Maybe you're here today and you've realized, finally, by, by sheer grace, God's opened your eyes. To see that Jesus died for you. He was buried and raised again. And today you want to follow him. Man, if that's you, would you just pray something like this? Just say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. So I'm turning from my sin and placing my trust in you. Help me to follow you starting today. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed. If you say, Levi, that's my prayer. Then listen, the first step of obedience for new believers, baptism. So I'm going to invite you to come forward in just a moment when we stand to our feet and begin to sing. You just come up here, we'll be here to pray for you, set you up a day to be baptized in the future. God may be calling you to join this church body. If that's the case, you be obedient to the Lord. But most of all, Lord, we just ask that you put your hand on us as your people and help us to fight the right fight so that your love continues to be expressed through our life. And that's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet while we sing, you come this morning.